0: Hillary, sweetheart, you don't really believe in the seance mumbo-jumbo, do you?
1: Believe in it. I spent $300 for it. (laughs) Honey, you spent $300 on a
0: seance? Not on the seance, for the seance. I needed a new hat. (laughs) I just wanted to let you know about my study group
1: be a funny duddy. I'll be your study buddy I'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career this work right here is going to change history I think this is going to be our greatest mission
0: I don't have time to study I'll never get into Stanford
1: I got big plans for you tonight I got maps I got charts I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line
0: it's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes
1: Welcome to The Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And we've got a spooky one today. Amy, what is the trope we are discussing?
0: Seances, all happening in years that end in three. Yeah, that makes
1: it extra scary. (laughs) It's Halloween, everybody. We're doing Halloween episodes from 83, 93, 2003, 2013. There's lots and lots of overlapping tropes in the world of Halloween episodes. We got Halloween parties. We got trick-or-treating. We got kids, adults, dream sequences, all kinds of stuff. But we did find that every 10 years, there's at least one Halloween show where somebody decides to commit with the dead.
0: That's right. So we are watching Laverne and Shirley, Season 8, Episode 17, The Ghost Story, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Season 4, Episode 7, Hex and the Single Guy, Reba, Season 3, Episode 7, The Ghost and Mrs. Hart, and The Middle, Season 5, Episode 5, Halloween 4, The Ghost Story.
1: Yeah. So lots of ghosts in the titles of these episodes. So what are your feelings about communing with the dead, Amy? Do you believe such a thing is possible? Are you a, uh, the spirit carries on after we shed our mortal coil type of person? What, uh, what are we dealing with here?
0: Oh, that's way too deep a question. Like, simple answer, no, not really. But tr- kind of more true answer is yes, but not in the way we see it in sitcoms.
1: Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I am generally a sort of, uh, by the book, when you're dead, you're dead kind of person, but one of our sitcom characters is going to give us a very thoughtful, explanation towards the end of this this lineup of how we can necessarily rule out things that are maybe on the on the periphery of what our our scientific minds understand so yeah i would say uh you know i'm not going to tell anybody you're an idiot for believing that your house is haunted or you're dumb for thinking that your grandma comes to talk to you but i have not had those experiences and for the most part i do consider this the stuff of movies and television shows and whatnot
0: whereas i am a little bit more on the fence
1: yeah yeah kind of like the mysterious woman we saw sitting on our fence last night but she she didn't respond when we called her name (laughs) (laughs) i don't know all right laverne and shirley so this is our second time covering laverne and shirley First time, we did it as part of our Happy Days spinoffs episode, so we got to see the very first episode ever in which Laverne and Shirley uh, attended a fancy banquet and they had to call in their pal Fonzie to kind of, you know, give them some confidence. Things have changed, right? Things have changed in the world of Laverne and Shirley between episode one and season eight, episode 17, which is where we are now.
0: That's right, so... The show is still called Laverne and Shirley. However, there is no more Shirley. Shirley, outside of the show, was pregnant. And she came back to work for season eight for two episodes and was informed by the producers in Paramount Studios that she was going to be required to work on her due date all the way up to and on her due date. And she walked out of work after filming that second episode of season eight and filed a $20 million lawsuit, which was later settled out of court, and she was released from her contract.
1: That's pretty wild considering, obviously, there's tons of people involved with these shows, so it's simplifying a great deal to say this, but Gary Marshall is the mastermind behind these shows. His sister, Penny Marshall, is her Co-star of the last eight Years so you would think there would be A little bit of camaraderie there
0: And I'm sure there is and I I, and I Think that in the you know The years that have passed since this was like 1983 that you Know they are friendly and they you Know sit, they talk together about their time On Laverne and Shirley but yeah There was um, no flexibility In the production schedule despite her Being pregnant
1: the way that we the Audience find out that Shirley is not on the scene anymore, is we go to start the episode, and instead of our familiar shlemiel, shlemazel, hopscotch thing with with Laverne and Shirley on the sidewalk, we get... Like, much older Laverne walking down the street while a bunch of school children do the Shlemiel Shlemazel rhyme. And it really shows you, like, oh, wow, times have changed. This is a whole new Laverne and Shirley universe.
0: Whole new Laverne and Shirley universe. Well, and in fact, much has changed anyway from the last time we saw them because they've moved to Burbank or Pasadena or they're somewhere in California now. And we've got all sorts of characters that are involved that we didn't meet in that very first pilot. So we met Lenny and Squiggy, their neighbors who lived upstairs in the pilot. But in the meanwhile, now we have Carmine, who was Shirley's on-again, off-again boyfriend for all of the intervening seasons, a lot of the intervening seasons. And um, he moved with them, Lenny and Squiggy. They also move with Laverne well, and but Shirley one of them out. isn't
1: in this one.
0: Not in this one, but he's still in the show. Oh, okay. It just was off for this episode or something. So they are there, you know, they're out there with them. They started a talent agency out there. Yeah. And the girls started working at a department store being gift wrappers.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I got to think Michael McKeon at this time already would have stuff going on. I'm not sure exactly when Spinal Tap came out. But I could totally see McKeon being like, I'll give you I'll give you Lenny for six episodes of this season or whatever, but, yeah. but no more than that.
0: And and he's able to do that and and surely can't have a baby. It's a man's Williams.
1: world, baby. <laughs> <Cindy> <laughs> what, what can I tell you?
0: No babies.
1: So this is an interesting aspect of this trope that I want to talk about, which is that I think especially going back a ways, Halloween episodes don't necessarily need to be about Halloween, right? I think half of the shows that we're going to talk about today don't actually make mention of the fact that it's Halloween time, the kids are trick-or-treating, it's more of, this is just an excuse to do a weird, spooky story... And we'll put the episode on around Halloween time, but that's actually not what it's about necessarily.
0: Yeah. A few of them, it is Halloween time though. Mm -hmm. And Laverne and Shirley isn't one of them. So we start the episode with Laverne, Getting ready to go hiking, she's mountain go, like mountain climbing with a singles group, and she comes down the stairs of this apartment with all this gear on. She's got a hammer, like swinging between her legs and knocking into her n- kneecap. She's holding the pickaxe. She's like covered in ropes and carabiners and everything, and she's thanking Carmine and his new girlfriend for watching her apartment while she's going to be gone.
1: Yeah, they're house sitting, she's saying mountain climbing is the latest thing for singles, right? So this is a silly contrivance to just get her off the set, basically, for the first half. And we're going to have these other characters taking care of her house. And we start getting supernatural goings on.
0: Right. Even before she leaves, right? The lights flicker. And she's like, oh, make sure you get with the, you know, whoever the building super is. Um, Or she's like, I told my dad, because her dad is this guy, Frank, and he also moved out there with them. And so she's like, you know, my dad's going to call the super. Don't worry. You know, they're coming to get it fixed. And and then Squiggy shows up to fix the lights. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's funny how similar to our fire trope, uh, shoddy electrical wiring is always like a sort of, you know, go-to suspect in, in any of these things, whether it's who started the fire or why are there supernatural goings-on in my house? You always go to the wiring first. So, yeah, he's, you know, he's working on the wiring. Laverne goes off to her singles thing. So immediately we get much more explicit I'm going to say special effects, for lack of a better word, uh, than, than I would have expected. We get, you know, household objects, his tools, hammers and wrenches and whatnot on, on strings, on fishing line, floating across the set uh, right before our eyes in like minute seven of this show and every time you think oh this is going to be for the benefit of us the audience and the characters aren't going to catch on right away they always do and then you see oh okay that character sees it but the joke is going to be that this second character doesn't see it and they don't believe him nope nope they see it the next time it's always just like right in view of the characters things are getting up and floating around before their eyes and it's This ghost is just very, like, not demure in in any sense. This ghost is very ready to make their presence known and move things around and create all kinds of poltergeist-type effects.
0: Right. And even before that, right, we get the ghost floating over the door when Squiggy runs out and... And he's just sort of like pontificating about how, oh, this is going to be so much fun. The guys back in, you know, the lounge or whatever are going to laugh so hard. These people are so easy. What a fun job I have. And then he gets like, he's now he's not floating. He's like leaning on the wall and telling us some more. Just like talking to no one.
1: So this is, yeah. So I'm mixing up the, the order, I guess, in my mind. But so we get... Not necessarily in this order. The poltergeist type things I was just describing with the one guy fixing the, the sink and things are floating around. And then we get this scene that you're talking about where Squiggy like has a full on conversation or at least this ghost is just talking to somebody. It It's a guy like it's a it's an actor with the sort of translucency effect like the force ghosts in Star Wars.
0: And yeah, he, and Squeaky can't hear him, but the guy is just talking okay. and talking and talking.
1: Again, for us, the audience, yeah. and and Squiggy doesn't understand. So, yeah, it is very much like, this haunting is real. <laughs> like, this this is not, you know, this is not somebody's imagination or anything. Like, it, it is very clear to everyone, especially us watching, that, at least for this episode, Laverne and Shirley takes place in a world in which there are ghosts.
0: Right. So, then, after... Carmine and his girlfriend see the floating screwdriver and the floating wrench happen. They run out. They're scared. They don't want to go back in there. Squiggy, the door. Oh, he can't get the door open. The door keeps locking.
1: Now, that's after his uh, date rape, right? Yes. So let's talk about that for a second.
0: Because the floating ghost all happens after his date rape.
1: Yeah. I just I just find it so funny that like some of our shows, there's some pretty subtle stuff that gets you pretty inflamed and you seem ready to just breeze by the fact that Lenny, you know, Squiggy comes home with Ms. Mira from Head of the Class, the, uh, you know, Dr. Samuels's secretary, who is maybe the least effectual sitcom character in the history of tv ever i always felt sorry for that actress and now i really feel sorry for her she comes home as squiggy's date and he just like
0: straight up assaults her well i mean that's that's Lenny and Squiggy. That's what they do all the time. That's what they've been doing to Laverne and Shirley since the first episode, right? So, yeah, this is the whole thing where Squiggy's saying, oh, I'm an agent. I'll get you a job. And she's like, really? You'll get me a job? And he's like, yeah. Oh, look, a couch. We could call it a casting couch. Aren't we lucky? Why don't we get on this couch? And then they start kind of making out. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. Can you really get me a job? And he's like, you know it, baby. Everybody's going to call me, you know, whatever. Everybody knows me or something like that. He's just doing the thing doing the squiggy thing and then yeah and then she's like you're a brute and runs out and then he gets trapped with from the ghost yeah but he
1: they physically fight at one point like she tries to like get him off of her and he kind of like struggles with her i thought i well, just
0: so the couch starts moving there's the, the <laughs> ghost so they're on the i think couch. the couch
1: is saving her from him
0: I, I, I didn't get all that. <laughs> to me, this was just like a moment to like, you know, Squiggy's always doing this stuff, and he's always being like this, and she's like, ew, get away from me, because the couch starts rocking and rolling. And that wasn't them fighting. It was because of the couch rocking and rolling from the ghost. And so she's like, oh, you're a brute, thinking that he was, like, getting that rough with her. No. And he's like, what are you talking about, you know? Oh, you know, oh, nuts. I lost another one or whatever. And she runs out, and then... That's when we see the floating ghost and that whole, like, random pontificating. The ghost is, like, telling us what he's about to do or yeah. why he's haunting the place or whatever. So, yeah,
1: I I think that Squiggy should be locked up for the events of this scene. But regardless, yeah, so everyone knows there's a ghost. Laverne comes back. Now, can we just stop for a second and say, you know, the phrase, jump the shark, came from happy days, right? right? This show's big brother. This has got to be a jump the shark moment for Laverne and Shirley, or maybe they just sort of already have.
0: Yeah, already have.
1: And they're just sort of living in that early 80s malaise of like, yeah, Gary Marshall's whole empire is kind of like yesterday's news. And like these shows are kind of spinning their wheels doing dumb stuff.
0: Yeah, like this is supposed to be 1967 or 1968 or something. Laverne looks like a modern 80s woman, like she's wearing things, you know what I mean? Like even the costumes have sort of like blurred the lines into 80s fashion. She, you know, in that open that you were describing where the kids are all going by her and she's carrying her groceries, she's wearing this long tan skirt that's like almost an A-line skirt that my mom had three of in the early 80s. Like it it was just so weird to me that this was supposed to still be, we're still in the nineteen because it just doesn't register at all anymore.
1: It's something that we notice not all the time, but often the tropier episodes are later in the series. So when we go on our deep dive trying to find, oh, let's find all the episodes where a character joins the circus or whatever it is. You usually find such and such series, you know, season eight, episode twelve, or whatever. So, yeah. and you
0: just know when you look at it, you're like, "Oh, did they? What was their last season? Oh, season eight was their last season. Yeah, Great. that's the
1: season where half the cast left, and it takes place in a deli because they lost the rights to their set, or, or who yeah. knows what. So, yeah, things are a little silly and weird. The second half of the episode becomes a little bit of an exorcist parody because we get laverne sort of being like semi-possessed by the ghost and she has to talk in the funny gravelly voice
0: right well she's lip syncing but so they what they do is they have like so laverne comes home because there was like mudslides and a big storm that hit up on the mountain and so she couldn't finish the rock climbing so she gives up she comes home and everybody is there freaking out that there's this ghost and they you know she's like what's going on and they're all trying to you know ward this ghost off and they're all freaking out and that's where the thing happens where she's like well the best thing to do when you're scared is whistle because then some you know something floats through the air and Laverne sees it so now she knows that there's a ghost so they all like try to back out of the room whistling, and that then it goes to commercial. Mm-hmm. And then when we come back, they've decided to have a seance. So they're sitting all around a table, now we get our seance scene. You know, the girl who plays Carmine's girlfriend, she is an actress, and she said, oh, I, you know, I, I did Blythe Spirit, which is this play, and she has the full costume on from Blythe Spirit, and so she's, you know, going to be the medium for their, for their seance, and and then, yeah, they make contact with this ghost, and the ghost starts speaking through Laverne and tells the cast, tells everybody why he's there and why he can't move on.
1: Yeah. Now, if you're prompting me to explain this, (laughs) it's not going to happen because I do not. uh, This was very confusing to me.
0: I was like in and out of consciousness while we were watching this. I was so tired. How am I keeping up with this better than you? I had to
1: reverse (laughs) engineer what this ghost's unfinished business thing was by the insane second (laughs) half of the episode where they do an obstacle course in their living room. I just wanted to point out the exorcist thing. If this is 83, The Exorcist would have been, you know, maybe eight or nine years prior. But that has the thing with the little girl lip syncing to some gravelly voiced old guy going, your mother sucks cocks in hell. You know, this horrible, vulgar (laughs) stuff that is just this like really... Uh, shocking juxtaposition of seeing the voice come out of the little girl. And so I think that is what they're playing What on they here. were
0: trying to do. Well, they don't have Laverne lip syncing to things that are that shocking. She is, you know, uh, basically a gravelly voiced version of herself. And we get to see Penny Marshall in all of her sort of physical comedy glory. Yeah. That's what she's good at. That's, you know, so we're having fun with you. She's pulling faces. Every time the voice comes out of her, she, t- like, she sort of slightly louches a little bit and acts like kind of a guy, spreads her legs and like does this thing. And then she, you know, comes back too and has her eyes wide open because she's just wondering why everyone's looking at her. So it's fun. It's a cute little moment. But so the ghost explains that he didn't win the 1938 Olympics, which were held in L.A., Because of some technicality, something happened and he wasn't able to get to the finish line, but he was going to win. So they recreate an Olympics in her apartment. It looks like Double Dare. It does look like Double Dare. So they have this like obstacle course kind of thing set up and... Laverne as the ghost is competing as the ghost, and Carmine's in it, and the, his girlfriend are in it, and Frank, her dad, is playing like the referee. He yeah, fires he's got the, the little gun. starter pistol yeah, that makes it all go to start, and so then we get the montage with the what's that the like. The Ride of the Valkyries song, uh, or whatever. Yeah,
1: either that, or it might be the uh, Chariots of Fire. That's the Chariots it. of yes. Fire song. Yes. Yeah, this is wow. I mean, look, it's a sitcom. It's silly. the The goofiness is intentional. So I don't want to like wag my finger at it. Like I'm not getting it but boy is this dumb (laughs) this is such a stupid resolution to this story watching these four adult characters run around their living room you know doing these little uh you know weaving in and out of cones and buckets and whatnot going up and down a slide and this is supposed to somehow satisfy or complete the quest of this ghost that is haunting her apartment because this will make him feel like he won the Olympics sixty years ago and so now he doesn't need to
0: roam the earth anymore? I guess that's what he says. And when Laverne slash he wins, then they hang the uh they hang the gold medal around His ghostly neck, like Laverne doesn't stand on the podium. He stands on the podium and we get a fun little moment where Laverne's dad is like, you know, am I at you? Am I at you? And he's like a little to the left. And so he comes over and he, and then we see the metal kind of floating in midair as though it's around a human neck. And now he doesn't need Laverne to talk anymore because Mm -hmm. he's like just talking out loud and everyone can hear him. And one of the characters is like, oh, hey, he doesn't need laverne anymore to do it and he's like yeah that's because i'm about to move on like it's like so ridiculous it's very
1: silly uh
0: but before we like move on can we just talk about how each of the three characters who was running in this obstacle course race got two Full body, slow mo scans of their warm up routine prior to the actual event starting.
1: This, this. I was like,
0: why are we wasting so much time?
1: See, you say wasting, I say filling. (laughs) I say we are clearly desperate to fill time. Because my question was okay, we got to see them run around this little obstacle course. I guess that's kind of funny. They run around it three or four times, you know, which, sure, in real life, like, yeah, we want this to take longer than 30 seconds or whatever. But, no, on a sitcom, you want it to take 30 seconds. You should not be seeing them doing the same thing repeated over and over again. It absolutely smacks of, like, uh, you know, we wrote, I don't know, 16, 17 pages of scripts. Uh, let's just have them, you know, run around the the stage three or four times. Still not long enough. Slow down that, that, you know, scan of their, their outfit that you did to 25% speed and then we'll get there.
0: It was insane. Like one, you know, cause they were playing the song and they were doing this whole montage thing. So the one slow mo I would get. But when we went in for the second foot, to forehead body scan of Laverne. And then I was like, okay, well, if they just do Laverne twice, she's the star of the show. So that makes sense. Nope. We're going to go back and do Carmine a second time. And we're going to go back and do Carmine's girlfriend a second time. It was ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's very silly. I did appreciate, though, if we're getting into the mindset of like, well, these are the old-timey Gary Marshall sitcoms where everything's real and the audience is really there watching it. You see, they have to go pretty wide on these shots when they're doing this this obstacle course thing. And it's so clear, like, this does not resemble a living room in any way, shape, or form. This is a stage, a big-ass stage with a living room wall behind it. And, yeah, it's pretty dumb to watch it now, but you could totally see how the audience I'm sure was having a ball, seeing the cast members dressed in these goofy costumes doing this stupid relay race around, you know, running through buckets and whatnot. Yep, and, yep. yeah, it would be fun if you were there.
0: <laughs> it, it absolutely would be fun to watch live and silly. And it would also take about 30 seconds. Like, you said to watch it live but then of course it's cut together and it's much longer. So the ghost can move on, and then that's it, right? There's he gets nothing.
1: a job at the local restaurant. There's a little end tag. Oh,
0: that's right. It's, it's um, it's it's the dad's restaurant. It's Laverne's dad's restaurant, but it doesn't go well, right? Because he, it's, he scares every customer.
1: Yeah, it's the old joke of the customer's scared because it's a ghost and things are moving by themselves, and he's like, no, they're scared because the food is bad, or whatever. Oh, but, boy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I
1: think it's very clear, trope-wise, what we get out of this is... Halloween gives you an excuse to do something ridiculous like this. They were probably doing ridiculous stuff anyway. But it's like, you know, you want to do a story about ghosts and things moving by themselves and getting possessed by a demon. Well, maybe that's a little too out there. What about Halloween? Okay, perfect. Right? It's just like that gives you that little extra license to do something goofy. And
0: this was the only ever supernatural episode of Laverne and Shirley. So, Well, I guess we can give you guys a pass. Yeah. Let's move
1: on to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air.
0: This episode is called Hex and the Single Guy.
1: Yeah. We, of course, talked about Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on our very first podcast episode with the Carlton losing his virginity. And The Fresh Prince is the recently crowned winner of our favorite TV theme songs ever countdown several episodes back. We love Fresh Prince. We love the theme song. Looking at the thumbnail of this, just choosing it on HBO Max, I remembered this episode. The uh, Carlton in the Macaulay Culkin blonde hair thing and everything.
0: But he isn't dressed at all like Macaulay Culkin. Oh, Tolkien. we'll
1: we'll get to whether or not it's a accurate and effective Halloween costume. All I'm saying is that I remembered it. Uh, isn't
0: he dressed? I would say, isn't he dressed like somebody else?
1: I think he's dressed like Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. Yeah, if you've ever seen that movie, he looks just like that. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, it is a memorable image. I was happy that you know it sort of worked out that this was going to be one of our selections. Fresh Prince, Halloween, we're ready to go.
0: That's right, and a seance as well. So this episode starts, they're in the kitchen having breakfast in the morning, the boys come in, we're later on in the series, so now the boys have graduated from high school and they are going to that local college and living in the pool house.
1: Yeah. We also have at this point in the series, Hillary, the older sister, was dating and briefly engaged to a local TV journalist named Trevor who died because he was proposing to her while bungee jumping and something went wrong.
0: Something went wrong and he went splat, who, upon research, because i had completely forgotten this, was played by Brian Stokes Mitchell. Tony award winning, very famous Broadway actor, um, like amazing voice who during the pandemic was one of these guys that went viral because he was, he, you know, lives on the park in, you know, Upper East Side or Upper West Side or something like that. And he would sing with his gorgeous booming, you know, baritone out his window every day when all of us were like banging pots sure. and pans and clapping and whatever. Prior to that, like in the half an hour or so leading up to that, he would just open his window and start singing amazing songs. And so you can find him on YouTube just like, New York, New York, like singing out his window like Evita to the masses of all of us sad New Yorkers when we were stuck inside for months.
1: Yeah, that's not surprising at all. This guy was clearly cast for his... You know, for his looks, but for his voice especially, he had this whole thing of like, "Hey, how the hell are you? I'm a TV weatherman or a TV anchorman, and I'm just super charismatic." You know, big, broad-shouldered, handsome guy. But similar to the way Seinfeld handled Susan's death, the show does not take it seriously, and from the jump, uh, his his being killed off is very much played as as a laugh and. In this case, the whole episode is going to be centered around Hillary wanting to commune with him by way of a psychic that she saw on TV. Because in the 90s, TV psychics were a thing.
0: Absolutely. Call me now for your free reading.
1: Yeah, the Psychic Friends Network, that was that was
0: part that was of it. That was Dionne Warwick. And then you had, yeah, Miss Cleo, who was um, always on the the late night infomercials to get you to call in and find out your future. So... Hillary has booked this psychic that's going, or this medium or whatever, that is going to allow her to commune with Trevor. And it is Halloween in this episode. Yes. Yes. So she is telling the family that morning at breakfast, you know, hey, when I spoke to the. You know, this medium guy on the phone, he said that the best way to contact Trevor is to have more family members there so we can get the psychic energy going. So I need at least four other people. And she's looking around to her family members and they're all not interested in doing it. And the, the three guys, Uncle Phil, Carlton, and Will are making jokes about him, you know, going splat or, you know, getting crushed or whatever.
1: Yeah, this is one of the rare times in the series where Uncle Phil and Will are completely on the same page. And so the whole process throughout the whole episode, arguably even a little out of character, Uncle Phil is constantly snickering with Will at the other characters. And so as much as I think he's being a little bit of a dick to his daughter, it's kind of fun to see James Avery and Will Smith actually kind of be on the same page for once. So yeah, they all go to this psychic, but because it's Halloween... The, the teenage characters anyway are dressed in their various costumes.
0: In their costumes, right. Because Will has a party that he's going to go to and Carlton says, well, you're going to cut into my trick-or-treating time. So the mom, Aunt Viv, makes a point to just lay down the law. She starts, you know, being very upset and she's like, I guess no one cares about Hillary and no one cares that I, as much as I do about our daughter and this is so sad and she's taken this so hard and she has like, what would be considered more of like a real reaction to all of the callousness that Hillary is being faced with. And then Hillary leaves the room and the guy's can say, okay, we'll go. And they go te- they go off to tell Hillary that they're going to go to this seance. And Aunt Viv turns to the younger daughter and is like, watch and learn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, she didn't even care either, but she was just, like, making up that she was sad well, so the guys would do what she thought was right.
1: Yeah, this is a very questionable moment, I thought, because what she does, it's not just a guilt trip. She gets all, like, sort of hysterical herself. And, you yeah. know... It's basically saying, hey, Ashley, you need to learn the art of manipulation. You know, this specifically feminine gendered manipulation where you pretend to cry and get really upset. Yeah, not Aunt Viv's most progressive moment.
0: No, not at all. (laughs) But
1: they all go to this psychic who is played by this great character actor from the 80s. He's Otho in Beetlejuice. He is the priest at the funeral in Heathers. He's in Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, if you remember that one. Uh, I, I don't know the guy's name in real life, but he's this big, sort of plump, gay, weird character actor that just shows up in stuff and always has this very interesting presence.
0: Yes, he is. He's he's got this immediate energy that comes on the screen. So you you know, it, like I remember this from watching him in Beetlejuice. It's like he's always judging you and also wants to be adored by you at the same time. Like, he is a great energy. His name is Glenn Shaddix, and he is great. Like, he shows up, and immediately we were like, ah, Beetlejuice! And he leads the seance, and it's another one of these, just like from Wizard of Oz, where it's very clear right away that he doesn't know anything, this is just a ploy for money. Hillary has shared in a previous scene that she shelled out a thousand dollars for this psychic to have this seance. So, you know, this is a costly moment for the whole family. And also they're, you know, giving up their various exploits on Halloween as well to be there for Hillary.
1: Yeah. Also just brief shout out to the flickering lights we get in the seance as the universal sign of something supernatural is going on, but we don't want to spend a lot of money. And then, yeah, we do get a little bit of that the humor of I'm going to be possessed, right? right. Because Otho channels Trevor, well, which
0: is starts to, yeah, right?
1: Which is pretty funny like it's a fun idea given everything that you just said about that actor's charisma and his whole personality very antithetical to this little otho butterball guy so it is funny when he sort of puts on that voice and everything
0: yes so he like then he does his best impression of brian stokes mitchell and he's like hey baby Mm -hmm. um which is great and then He loses contact with him because Will makes a joke and Uncle Phil snickers. And that was a moment that I, too, noticed like, oh, you know what? That's kind of out of character. I wonder why he's snickering. But anyway, so they lose contact with him and Otho is mad and Hillary is upset. She's like, you ruined my one chance to have closure and say goodbye. You're so mean and then otho is like you know you're the problem and puts a hex yeah. on will
1: well cuz will really lays into him like he he goes from making fun of him to to actually calling him out like kind of seriously like yeah. the the psychic is like oh well you're you're making a mess of this or whatever or you're this isn't working because of you and will starts to really kind of be like all right enough is enough like you're you're a scammer like we're not buying this or whatever and so the guys like screw you you're cursed and we're going to get the premise for the second half of the episode, which yeah. is. And it
0: wasn't just like "screw you, you're cursed." It was like speaking in tongues, "Alahimaynehenu," yeah. and like does it twice through, and is like, "I put a curse on you."
1: Yeah. So the second half of the episode is going to be the various family members having problems because of this curse that's been, you know, laid upon their house. But they are way out of proportion for each other. Yes.
0: Well, so the psychic tells Will that that evil will befall everyone you care about. And that is the curse that he has given him. Yeah. So that's what happens.
1: So Uncle Phil gets a call saying that, basically his entire career and reputation is in shambles it's like he's been accused of taking bribes or attempting to bribe a judge and it's just like in one fell swoop you know it's one of these sitcom things where you see the person on the phone you're not hearing the other end of the conversation so it's like what my career is over what i have no hope of ever making any income or reversing this horrible situation you know it's just his whole life is falling apart and then meanwhile, Ashley is getting hit with tennis balls because her tennis ball auto-pitcher thing is malfunctioning. And so she's like standing there fighting off tennis balls instead of just walking inside.
0: Yep. And um, what happens? Car- Something happens to Carlton, right?
1: Whatever happens to Carlton, he reacts with the Macaulay Culkin slapping his face, looking into the camera, Home Alone thing. A home Alone screen. So let's pause for a second okay. and just talk about the Halloween costumes. Will Smith is Dracula, no problem. Carlton is Macaulay Culkin, because what he says is, I admire Macaulay Culkin's business sense. You know, his last three movies have made, and then he says something like $400 million, some sort of box office gross that I remember going, oh, that's a side of the times. That is like a tenth of what a blockbuster made now, at least before COVID. But anyway, his... Macaulay Culkin Outfit is dyeing his hair yellow and wearing overalls.
0: Yeah, he's got a red shirt and, like, blue overalls. And I honestly thought he was going for, like, a Bart Simpson. Yeah,
1: or Dennis the Menace. Yeah, he looks a lot like Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. He looks nothing like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. But nonetheless... The the image stayed with me, and it's also he can do that face slap thing, right. looking into the that camera. That was why
0: they did it like that for sure. But yeah, Wesley Snipes, a hundred percent, is wearing overalls and a red shirt with this same hair dye in Demolition Man, and both straps on his overalls. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. So they were calling it. They were calling it something else, so they could do that joke. But that's really funny that that's the costume they went with. But then Jeffrey gets arrested for immigration issues.
1: Yes, that was often a thing on the show, his his immigration issues. And we can't forget, of course, Hillary gets engaged to jazz, right? That's DJ right. Jazzy Jeff has his recurring role as jazz. And we get this reversal of all the jazz iconography because we get Hillary and jazz doing the little hand slap thing that Will and Jazz used to always do. And then we get Uncle Phil being thrown out the front door the way that he used to always throw out Jazz.
0: Yep. <laughs> that was that was fun. Like some of those little nuggets that were there just for fans of the show. I mean, obviously it was for fans of the show in current time. Those were really fun and I appreciated that.
1: Yeah. But so Everything is going to hell, right? The, the Everything is falling apart. And so everyone goes, Will, this is your fault. Like, the hex is real. We are cursed because you pissed off the psychic.
0: So you got to go fix this. So Will goes back to the psychic. And now we're in a completely different set. Like, yes. it was like... A parallel universe has entered, has has been entered, and the psychic isn't a psychic. He's just this dude that's living in his mom's house he's, with cats all over the wall.
1: Yes, he's Ralph Scorpius now because I guess as a psychic, his name was Scorpius. So when Will goes like, "Are you Scorpius?" he's like, "Yes, I am Ralph Scorpius." But he's totally norm core. His house is a normal house now. They're going for that thing of like, but. But that hotel burned down 20 years ago, right? right? But instead of it burned down, it's like there was never a weird freaky deaky psychic place here. There's just a normal house. There is a very uncomfortable dynamic where when when Will enters this guy's house, having been invited, right, he knocks on the door and the guy says, yes, come in, Will walks into the house, and this guy freaks the fuck out seeing Will there. And there is a definite unsaid thing of like, why is there a young black man in my house?
0: And this is kind of how the episode ends, and it is a very uncomfortable scene where you've got this character, uh, Ralph Scorpius or whatever, just like continually saying he's gonna call the police, and that this, you know, you need to get out of my house and stop trying to rob me, and then will sitting down on the couch crying so yeah because he's like i'm not trying to rob you i was like this is hard this is hard oh god well
1: that's (laughs) funny because that saved it to me i thought the energy of scorpius totally freaking out at like please don't rob me was uncomfortable and Shitty, but then Will Smith doing his sort of like hysterical crying character. That was like one of his little go-to comedy moves in those times. Was he loved to do that? Like, hey man, you don't know what you're doing, man. And that I don't know. The goofiness of that kind of brought me back into it.
0: Okay, because it was a, it was a recognizable character for you. And He's I, being now, silly. Like, yeah, I kind of forgot that because when i was seeing it i was seeing like all of these black men on the sidewalks crying saying i just want my mom i just want my mom get you know don't don't tase me bro and like all of the stuff like i just was like this was it was hard (laughs)
1: this was hard it's a weird scene but yeah will is doing that thing like i said he's doing his sort of funny hysterical routine and then in this case it's all a dream. It ends with him, right? Going like, just lift the curse, lift the curse, lift the curse. And then we sort of transition to like, okay, now he's waking up from his nightmare going, lift the curse, lift the curse. And uh, it's, it's a normal day. It's all over. It was just a dream. But then we get Groundhog's Day.
0: Right, it's like he just dreamed the thing that was about to happen cuz he and Carlton go into the kitchen and they start having their morning breakfast and then every beat is happening just like that first scene and Will keeps trying to like interrupt and say different things but nothing he says is changing the conversation. Like you know, he like interrupts and asks Phil a question and Uncle Phil pretends like he didn't even say anything and just keeps plodding along with the same lines that they had said in the first Scene. And so we end then, that's right, with Will's face like in a window pane screaming because he knows what's about to happen.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting how comparing this and Laverne and Shirley, this one is the less fantastical one because we don't at least have objects literally floating through air. But with this one, they felt the need to add the thing of, well, it was only a dream, you know, so that you could at least buy into it a little bit.
0: But not even only a dream. It was like deja vu. It was all about to happen. And so it was like something yeah, super creepy. That's
1: true. But you could still that that adds a little bit of plausible deniability to it.
0: Sure. It it puts to me, it puts the scare more at the end. And to be perfectly frank, it's a real scare. Like what's about to happen to Will is terrifying. So I think they did a good job in terms of like, yeah, they had all the silly tropes and all the, what? oh, and it's only a dream, but it isn't. Like this is about to repeat itself and he knows what's coming and can he change it? We don't know. And he's just screaming in the window. To me, it didn't lean tropey because, oh, it's only a dream. It lent itself more to, oh my God, now he's got to walk through this whole day knowing exactly what's going to happen. Can he change it? Can't. Yeah, he do something different?
1: But it's also a little bit of a different trope. Because again, this is early 90s, Groundhog Day, you know, 1990, 91, maybe. So that whole thing of like, oh, hearing the same dialogue verbatim over and over again, like that was a little bit of a, a trope too, or just a little bit of a sort of Twilight zone thing of like, uh-oh, we know where this is going. Okay, moving on to Reba.
0: Reba, season three, episode seven, The Ghost and Mrs. Hart.
1: Yeah. So Reba is the sitcom built around the titular character Reba McIntyre, right? Country music singer from the 90s that I guess got to that level where they were like, let's go ahead and put you in
0: a sitcom. Yeah, so I think the way this kind of came about is that she was hosting, like, the CMT Awards multiple years, and she was very funny. And then her tours, like, if you went to see her on tour, she, you know, she wasn't doing skits or anything, but she was really personable and funny, and She would pop
1: up in things, like the Little Rascals movie from the early 90s has tons of fun celebrity cameos, and she's one of them. She ends up being the race car driver that they are are all big fans of, but they don't know that she's a woman until the end. So,
0: Oh, yeah, I didn't remember that. So anyway, yeah, so she kind of made that transition and, well, sort of added that to her list of things that she could do. And so, yeah, the sitcom ran for like... 5 seasons or no, 6 seasons cuz it was one of those ones that was on the WB and then it when WB and UPN merged, it moved hmm. over to the CW cuz that was like the new network that was created. So it ran for 6 seasons. The premise of the show is Reba Hart is um a single mom. Her husband has left her for their dental hygienist. He's been like cheating and and whatever and he gets the dental hygienist pregnant. This is all like in the pilot episode or prior to the pilot episode. And also she finds out that her 17-year-old daughter is pregnant by her high school uh, football prodigy boyfriend. And so his parents kick him out because they decide that they're going to get married and have this baby, even though they're teenagers. And so her husband leaves her for the woman he got pregnant. And then her daughter is having a teenage pregnancy and The boyfriend, now husband, moves into the house to raise that baby. So that's the setup for the show.
1: This seemed very similar to New Adventures of Old Christine as I was watching it. You know, coming into this cold, figuring it out as I go. This dynamic of like, okay, she's got this ex-husband that she still seems to get along with in a sitcom kind of way. And this new wife that they actually have this, again, sort of weird sitcom we hate each other, but we're friends kind of thing going on. And a teenage kid, I think in the Christine one, he's a little younger, but everyone's still kind of existing in the same world. Made me think like, okay, similar, similar premises.
0: Yeah, I mean, sort of. So, well, the show's set in Houston, whereas New Christine is set in LA. And the other thing is that I think New Christine and they didn't have a really contentious breakup. They fell out of love, and then they just, you know, they decided they were better off apart. And they do have, like, a working co-parenting relationship. Whereas this relationship between Reba and her ex-husband isn't that and the we're seeing a lot more bitterness and hate and her ex-husband is a horrible guy like he's obsessed with tanning he loves to golf and he is going like one of those central center plot points of this episode is that he's going away to las vegas for a weekend you know for a long weekend on a golf trip and you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas so he's just like continuing his kind of 'er ne'er-do-well ways all of that happened in like the pilot. And that was sort of how the show started. So we're now in season three. And Reba, aside from her 17 year old daughter, who it's now like three years later, and she's like 19 or 20. She also has two other kids. There's like a middle school, early high school age now daughter and a younger son. And so at the end of Season two and the very first episode of season three, that daughter, Kira, I think her name is, she decides, she has a really bad fight with her mom and she says, That's it, I'm moving in with dad. So now she's moved out of the house as right. well. So she's living you know, wherever the dad and the, the new wife live. And so that is causing this relationship to have to have a little bit more connection again because the daughter has only, the middle daughter has only recently moved out of the house.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of comings and goings. And yes, even for me coming into this, I was able to pick that up. Okay, the middle daughter, who I thought looked a lot like Sir Ronan, she doesn't live with her, she lives with the dad. And so- Like you said, it facilitates a lot of interaction. I just want to get out there. I grew up in the New York area. I have some prejudices about uh, the way people talk in other parts of the country. I don't think that... (laughs) us here in the East Coast are any better than anybody else, but I just butt up against the Southern or Midwestern twangs sometimes. And I think around this time, give or take a few years, you had your Jeff Foxworthy, your Grace Under Fire, your king of the hill you had a lot of this sort of you know get texas midwest you know whatever it is it's uh it's just a different aesthetic and i think whereas i was always able to romanticize the differences of people from other parts of the world with people from other parts of the country i would turn my nose up at it and so stuff like grace under fire and jeff foxworthy i just like ah You know, again, I wasn't like, oh, burn in hell, you're stupid. I would just say, I find that annoying. I find the way that guy talks a little annoying. Those shows aren't for me. And so going into this, my sort of positive spin, my olive branch is like Reba McIntyre is charming as hell. So maybe she will be the one, to to break down the barriers, and I'm going to let Reba, you know, just undo all of my ill will and put me fully on board with the Midwestern or Southern charm of uh, of Reba.
0: Well, and I mean, I'll speak for myself. I'm sorry to say that I don't feel like this episode does it. It is really look. I, I'm I have very limited memory of Reba the show. Um, I am a fan of much of her music. Here's your one chance, Fancy. Don't let me down. You can't, you gotta sing Fancy. You always have to sing Fancy. It's the best song ever. Um, I've
1: never heard of that. And <laughs> oh,
0: it's the greatest do not song. This what just girl happened. gets a dress. She gets a red dress to go to her prom because her mom is like, this is your chance. You gotta find yourself a husband, honey, and get out there and you catch that man with your pretty red dress and she puts on her red dress and she goes to the dance and she gets her yourself a husband because here's your one chance fancy, don't let me down. That's the song. It's so good. It's so funny. But I digress. So this episode was just not that good. And it's a bummer because the girl who plays the older daughter in this, yeah, Joanna Garcia is her name. She is a really good actress and she was considered kind of like the breakout star of this series. She's barely in this episode. There's one scene where she's like kind of patting her boyfriend on the back because he feels down like their kid isn't getting enough stimulation because they're young kid parents and not like older adult parents who would know the right things to do. So there's like a moment where they have a good scene, but it's more acting from him who you recognized
1: him. Yeah. Her boyfriend is Kevin from Shameless, the muscly white guy who's their neighbor and is uh, just a very fun character.
0: Sure. So the two of them, like pretty good actors, you know what I mean? And they and that like their stories, from what I'm remembering, were the most enjoyable to watch on this show, because good actors, right? And Reba, too, when she was engaging with them. Unfortunately, in this episode, this episode, is it was like written so that we can have nasty jibe after nasty jibe between the ex-husband and wife, Reba, and her ex-husband, I think his name's like Brock. His, By the way, his name is Brock Enroll, which is like... What? Yep, his middle name is Enroll, which is like, come on. So his last name's Hart, but... Brock and Roll Heart is his name, which is like a play on rock and roll. Ridiculous, right? So, anyway, this whole episode, though, is really just meant to be this series of like snarky comments and i gotchas between the two of them and it's no fun it reminded me of the crappy 90s sitcoms and this is 2003 it reminded me of those like crappy 80s and 90s sitcoms we talked about with like married with children where the whole point of the show is just for them to be nasty to one another that is not reba's bread and butter like it's not and so this episode isn't to me it's not highlighting any of the things that were good about this show
1: yeah, I noticed it has a sort of mean-spirited center also, but to me the focus wasn't necessarily between Reba and the ex-husband. It's all about Reba and the the other daughter, Kira, sort of weaponizing... The new wife's stupidity, right? Barbara Jean is the new wife. She's blonde. She seems, if not ditzy, at least, uh, I don't know, a little.
0: She's a little empty headed. Yeah,
1: a, a little out to lunch, one might say. And so they find out that their house, the ex husband and her, they live in this house that somebody died in. And Nobody believes in ghosts except they, they just assume like it's taken for granted that Barbara Jean probably believes in ghosts. She'll probably freak out if we tell her that that somebody died there and the whole premise of the show is Reba and the daughter sort of like you said being super snarky and and weaponizing this against the husband being like we can make your life a living hell by using her stupidity against you and riling her up
0: right and his response is to then do the same thing back to them and be like oh you're right you, you know Barbara Jean you just shouldn't stay here if you're so scared and so he offloads his wife on his ex-wife because he knows that'll annoy her. And it's just like, it's not redeemable in terms of plot, like in that way. So the only thing is at the very, very end, they try to make it redeemable by having Barbara Jean explain why she's afraid of all of this stuff that, you know, is maybe not even real anyway. And it's because she's worried that karma's coming to get her because she did a bad thing by stealing Reba's husband.
1: Mm. Yeah, which that's an interesting moment. Like, yeah, she basically says, you know, the premise of the show that everybody's watching now, you know, is is all about me having screwed you over and like your your whole life now is sort of like in the shadow of of what i've done to you so okay like that's
0: that's it's an interesting heavy. way to yeah, get like that heavy. out there
1: here's here's the compliment that i would give to this episode which is what it ultimately gets to is that reba's plan backfires, as you said, because the husband's like, I've figured out how you can de-ghostify this house. You know, you can commune with the dead like so. You can uh, do X, Y, and Z, but I can't do that. I'm going to be away. I'm going to be out of town. So Reba can help you with that. So right. Reba and Barbara Jean have to come together and de-ghostify the house together. And if that's going to be the premise of your episode, that these unlikely, you know... Friends. Right. Or these un- yeah, these unlikely cooperators right. have to ghost bust together and Reba has to buy into this thing that she doesn't really believe in and go along with it to help her get rid of the ghosts so that Reba can get rid of her. Okay. Like, that's a fun situation sitcom episode premise, sure.
0: Right. Yes, sure. I think what kind of comes out at the end, though, is you see Barbara Jean, like, totally understanding why Reba is trying to like make fun of her because she figured you she knows that's what's going on she totally gets why reba's trying to make fun of her and give her ex-husband a hard time and she goes along with all that because she feels like she deserves it what never gets mentioned in the episode is why the hell she puts up with that dick who's doing the same thing
1: yeah and look i again as not a watcher of the show I, I don't really know the larger story with this husband character, but yeah, uh, the short answer, I guess, is money. Like if if that's the kind of person that her character is characterized as. Uh, I wanted to mention Reba does a fake, little fake-out possession, which is basically the same as the real possession in Laverne and Shirley, except she does her own voice, but she's like, I am Pazuzu, I am coming for you, or whatever the, the
0: yep. thing is. But we also have a moment in this episode where someone speaks in tongues outside of a seance. Reba's, like, in her kitchen, and she gets so mad that she, like, says she's going to lay a curse on whoever she's talking to. She She's, like, really mad about the, you know, the ways that her ex-husband keeps switching, you know, flipping it up on her. And then she ends up having to once again put up with all the crap for the kids, for his wife, and she just like randomly busts out like speaking in tongues like saying she's gonna put a curse on somebody or like just... Speaking a different language out of anger, like a made up language out of anger, (laughs) which
1: I, I put down that was vaguely problematic, I thought, just because of that, like, I know you're not really referencing even any real thing, but it's like, we're just getting to the point where like us white people just shouldn't be talking in weird made up languages at all. (laughs) Like, let's just err on the side (laughs) of caution. Yeah, I do want to say though, going back to my original thing of Reba McIntyre, you know, breaking down my prejudices i think it i think it kind of happens like she's very good she's very charming and that kind of stuff that you're talking about of like well it's sort of neither here nor there but let's give her a chance to do a funny voice here and there or make a funny little snarky comment or just whatever be the star of a sitcom She's pretty good at that, you know. She's not she's not going to go down in the the hall of fame of like best sitcom leading ladies ever. But she is fun. Yeah. And I think if it's gonna be that kind of show like Old Christine, where it's like, eh, let's do one for for the divorcees, for the ladies, you know, the ladies above 40. Like, I think she she does a good job of embodying that like there's there's still lots of fun and life and silly hijinks left for us to have, ladies. Let's let's get to it, you know, like that
0: kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and and you're right. She is very charming and like I said, I was missing in this episode a little bit more from Joanna Garcia and uh and even her her boyfriend character or I guess her husband character in in the show. I
1: also wanted to mention the title of this episode, The Ghost and Mrs. Hart, is a reference to The Ghost and Mrs muir i think muir or something it's an old movie from the 40s about a lady that like falls in love with a ghost uh, the
0: ghost and mrs muir
1: but they just yeah between you know the fresh prince being called hex and the single guy uh they you know this is another one similar to the dreams episodes they just can't resist doing the little references to the to the titles and stuff even well, what
0: movie is hex and the single guy i play on sex and the single guy that was a movie? I don't know. I've never even heard of that. I, I was like, it's too early for it to be a sex in the city. I don't reference. know if it's
1: a movie, it's something. Huh. Um it's it's a title. I don't know if it's a movie or a book or, or something.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. Again, uh trope wise, I feel like this is one that did not specifically mention Halloween. Yeah. It's more about oh it's Halloween time, it's October, let's let's give a, a episode with a spooky theme to it yeah
0: we'll do a spooky twist
1: okay moving on to the middle
0: here we go this is season five episode five halloween for the ghost story
1: yeah now i've never seen the middle and i've got another prejudice to uh confess to here for one thing, it's just after our time, like we always talk about. This is a 21st century show. I wasn't super into sitcoms at this point. But also, I've, I never understood and still don't understand to what the middle refers, if it's talking about the middle class or the middle child or both. But
0: the I... The middle of the
1: country. Okay, there you go. The fact that there was a TV show called Malcolm in the Middle, and I wasn't a huge fan of that necessarily. Uh, I just thought, like, no, you can't do this. You can't. And
0: the dads look shockingly similar. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I realized this has nothing to do with this. this. Does not share any cast members. This is the janitor from Scrubs. Is the dad
0: on yes. this? But and Jane Kasmerik looks an awful lot like Patricia Heaton. Yes, <laughs> and
1: she is the mom from Raymond. Right. Yes, but. It, that always bugged me. I was like, one of the most famous sitcoms of its time is Malcolm in the Middle. And then a handful of years later, there's a show called The Middle as just like, it's confusing. It's awkward. Come up with a different name. I don't like that.
0: I would say, is it even a handful of years later? I mean, I guess, I guess it is, right? Cause Malcolm in the Middle was 2000 to 2006. This show started in 2009, ran to 2018. So we got nine seasons of the Middle, but you're not the only one because if you go to the Wikipedia page for the Middle, the first sentence on it says not to be confused with Malcolm in the Middle.
1: Yeah, it's just a branding nightmare. Like, <laughs> sorry, that's that's a bad idea. You, they they you know they beat you to it. Use use a different name. That said. I think this show is really good, and I want to make another comparison, and I mean this as a total compliment. To me, it was like a live-action Bob's Burgers. It had that same energy of, like, the family of weirdos that all love each other. The boy, in particular, Brick, reminds me a lot of Gene. And it was that same kind of thing of like, it's us against the world, and we're all going to kind of support each other and maybe try to steer each other away from our most like socially destructive tendencies. But uh, same sort of positive humanist feel. And yeah, very fun and funny.
0: Yeah. So that like you hit the nail bang on the head, this show was critically kind of lauded, but never really kind of caught fire in the way that it could have. Um, The middle usually stylized. It's stylized oftentimes with like everything lowercase. And that's because it's exactly what you're saying. Like, what is it? Well, it's middle of the country. It's middle aged. It's middle class. It's all of these things. It's got a narrator, the mom, Patricia Heaton, who put I think her name's like Frankie in this. She is the narrator that's like talking over a lot of things that are happening. It's another single camera show. So we've got, you know, all the different feels that that brings to it. Yeah, and it's It's all about their day-to-day struggles of raising their quirky little kids in their quirky family.
1: Yeah. In terms of tracking the trope, we're going to focus more on the daughter, but uh, briefly, the son, his name is Brick, right? He's a very interesting character. I can only imagine he's the focus of a lot of this show.
0: Yeah, to me, he's like the breakout character in terms of like you when I watch this show and I have I, I never really watched it religiously but it was always one of those ones when it when I happen to catch it on I'd be like oh yeah this show's funny that kid like whispers into his shoulder and like has a, a little voice and he talks like this like he's just a strange little quirky dude yeah
1: I I say this with love in my heart I'm not totally sure what I'm looking at here like how old is he yeah does he have some sort of issue with his growth or something or is this is this just a kid that's just a little kid and just kind of funny looking like i I don't quite get what his deal is
0: yeah so it's both of those he he was born in 98 so he is like a child during this right starts in 2009 he'd be like 11 Mm -hmm. um he was playing a little bit younger but he has um a genetic condition where he has soft like soft bones and so his bones are like brittle he can he will never grow really tall, right? So I think he's like four foot something as a 20, he's like 23 or 25 or something now.
1: Because his story in this episode is that he's starting to notice girls, and he's got a crush at school, and they're going to kind of help him figure out how to approach that. And we are very much still looking at, yeah, a little guy with a kind of squeaky voice. And, you know, that could just be because of how old he is. But that's gonna be his story, which is gonna be very fun, is, uh, Harper at school has been, you know, showing some, some promise and they're going to steer him towards social media interaction because they say, uh, no eye contact, all words, right? That'll yeah. be right yeah. up your it's alley. right
0: up your alley. Yeah. And so a lot of his quirks are definitely based on, you know, things that come from the autism spectrum and his character is sort of based on one of the producers and showrunners who her son because i guess he is on the spectrum and so she was pulling like tidbits from his like her own son's life and and what it is to like raise a kid like that and and dropping them into the, the episodes. So then you also have, not only do you have the two parents that we've already identified and the youngest son, Brick, but then you have the middle daughter, her name's Sue, and the older son who we're in season five now. So the older son is away at college. But so the deal with the older son is that he is cool. He was always like a football player. He was the popular one, but he's super lazy. He doesn't do his schoolwork, doesn't apply himself. Got into college on a, um, you know, football scholarship or whatever, and is getting hazed by the. Football team. Um, he's going to like a local college too. So he's, it's, it's a university, but it's like nearby. So he comes home and is doing all the football players laundry. That's one of like the, the ways the team is hazing him. And then now Sue, who when the show kind of first started was, you know, early middle school is now solidly in high school. She's 16 and she's one of these kids that is just so innocent. Like, she's wide-eyed and wonderful and innocent and loving and trusting, and she's just always been that way. She's curious and earnest.
1: And she wears braces. Now, I don't know if that was the actress or a choice for the character, but I feel like that's that's just a very easy way of kind of, like, uh, just a little bit of a shorthand for, like, that teen awkwardness. Right, Uh, exactly. But she is going to be the gateway to the supernatural for us here. She has... A sleepover party. So we've got all kinds of overlapping Venn diagram of of tropes here. She's having a mandatory sleepover party for her. It's some kind of club the at school. The
0: wrestlerettes. So she has started wrestlerettes because you know she wanted to try out for the. This all happened long before, but she wanted to try out for the cheerleading team. Didn't make it. Wanted to have a pep squad. You know, she just she can. She's so socially awkward. She can never just like quite be a part of the cool girls, but. She doesn't ever take it personally. Like, she doesn't have any of the bitterness that like a Liz Lemon kind of character has. She's like, that's okay. I'm going to go start my own. You know, I'll start wrestlerettes because you know what? Nobody ever cheers for the wrestlers and they deserve it too. So she starts the wrestlerettes and she recruits three other, you know, socially awkward girls who don't have anywhere near her earnestness. And she tries to teach them a cheer, and they're bad at it. And she's like, Well, okay. If you don't want to take the time to learn the cheer that I worked very hard on, that's all right. It's because we need team bonding, and we're going to have team bonding, mandatory sleepover, my house tonight. Yeah. Halloween.
1: So she has them over. Yeah, this is another one where it is Halloween, but. Similar to the Fresh Prince episode, this is going to be something that takes place over a handful of days, and Halloween sort of comes and goes. So it's almost like a way of establishing, like, yeah, here in the world of our sitcom, it's Halloween time, just like it is for you guys out there in the real world, and the theme of the show is going to vaguely tie into that, but this is not a trick-or-treating or Halloween party type Thing.
0: Right. We get one. Well, so Brick at one point is going to the Halloween dance at school because he's asked Harper to go with him after yes. the social media or the, you know, chat. IMing thing works out well for him. And so he's a co- he has a costume on. He goes dressed up as a bookmark because yeah. who doesn't love a bookmark?
1: And Patricia Heaton wants him to be, oh, a gangster. Says That's if you right. go as a gangster, you'll look good. Because you get to wear a fedora and a suit. Right. So it'll be, it'll be kind of sexy and this girl will notice you. And, you know, again, much like Gene in Bob's Burgers, he just is unapologetically his own thing. And yeah. he just says, no, thanks. I'd rather be a bookmark.
0: I look cool as a bookmark. I like it. She'll notice me. It's great. So he goes off to the Halloween dance and Sue has her sleepover party. But in the days leading up to this, one of the things about this episode I found the most relatable, just being of middle age, was so the mom has bought only the crappy candy. So that way her family won't eat all the candy before Halloween when the trick-or-treaters come because that's what happens every year. They buy the good candy and then the family eats it and then the house gets egged because they never have enough candy. And so we get this awesome scene where it's Halloween, the doorbell rings, the mom goes to grab the bowl of these horrible licorice treats that she's bought so that no one will eat them. And of course the bowl is empty. There's like three pieces of candy left in the bottom. So she has to quick turn out all the lights in the house. The doorbell's like ringing, ringing, ringing. Everybody's like, trigger. Or treat, trick or treat, and they're going to hide in the laundry room.
1: Yeah, I feel like that is a trope of Halloween in real life for many people. what
0: I said, it totally feels true for me. We, like, we get good candy for Halloween. We happen to live on a pretty busy street for trick-or-treaters. And last year was our first year living here. And we ran out of candy early. And I was getting nervous. I was like, we can't watch TV in the main room because people will know we're home and we don't have any more candy.
1: Yeah, I feel like one way or another, even if you're a pretty good Halloween participant... Like, sooner or later, you get that twinge of, like, I hope nobody comes or (laughs) nobody notices me. But, yeah, so that's all happening. And Sue decides to have a seance at her little slumber party. She wants to contact the spirits just as a team-building exercise. And so it was a laugh-out-loud moment for me when she chooses her, her dead spirit that she wants to contact is Christopher Columbus.
0: That's right. She's like, he would have so much to teach us. People, when he was alive, thought that the world was flat, and he said it's not, and he did what he wanted anyway. What an inspiration.
1: Yeah, it's also an interesting sign of the times, perhaps, that this is a little bit before Christopher Columbus has been sort of like semi-canceled by popular culture. and like Semi?
0: <laughs> we, well,
1: depends who you talk to. Uh,
0: yes, you're right. You know what? If if we're in any of the shows where they have the twang that you don't like, they probably would still talk about Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Although I think in most other places, not so much.
1: So, yeah, it's just interesting that she, she still, uh, you know, views him as a sort of uncomplicated figure. figure. And so, yeah, she's like, let's do it. Let's contact Christopher Columbus. And she sees... Uh, walk us through what happens.
0: So... They all have their hands on the Ouija board. They're trying to contact Christopher Columbus. And she says, you know, if you're there, spirits, give us a sign. Any sign, let us know that you're there, you know, Christopher Columbus or whatever. And then she kind of opens one eye and we see the reflection of this, but we don't actually see what she sees. So across her face we see the like dawning shock and surprise that she's seeing this light moving across the living room wall and if you're just looking at her face and you and she isn't reacting like if she wasn't doing the shock and surprise that she is seeing this this light then you, you would have just assumed it was like a car driving by and casting a shadow because that was the kind of like, you know, from from left to right sort of movement across her face. But she is like, oh, my gosh. And then we find out later that she saw the outline or the image of the Santa Maria projected on the living room wall sailing across the wall. And that's how she knew that Christopher Columbus was listening.
1: Right. And so she goes around telling everybody, again, completely without guile, this is what I saw. The seance worked. Christopher Columbus spoke to me by way of projecting his ship, the Santa Maria, into my consciousness. And everyone reacts the way I react in real life when people tell me things all the time. They're just like, look okay, like, we believe that you think you saw that, or just, you know, like...
0: Well, and I mean, maybe her friends react that way, but her parents react sort of even differently. They're like, we've got to stop this. You know, the dad is like, she's 16. If she keeps acting like this, she is going to get taken advantage of. We have to tell her that she can't just willy-nilly run around like a little girl anymore, telling everybody that she's seen ghosts and she believes in this and... She's talking to the dead like she is growing up and this isn't growing up. She needs to stop. And so he convinces Frankie, the mom, that they need to have a real conversation with her about not telling anyone that. She saw this thing. So the parents trudge off to the bedroom, to Sue's bedroom, to have this conversation with her. And she's sitting at her desk with uh, a notepad. And she is so excited because she's decided that this story deserves to be in the school paper. So now she not only has she told all of her friends and anybody that will listen, now she's going to write an article for the school paper, which the dad, of course, and the mom are, of course, just worried is going to expose her to more ridicule, and they don't want her to have to go through that. So they're trying to tell her to, like, toughen up, you know, stop acting that way. And they go to have the conversation.
1: Yeah. So they go to sort of like, you know, kind of put her in her place and, and let her know, you know, that, that this might cause problems for her. And then she articulates, you know, what I sort of hinted at at the top of of why you really can't be so hard on the people with the touchy feely ghosts might be real attitudes. You know, she goes, look. If you tried to explain to somebody, to an alien or something, the miracle of how babies were born, they would think that you're crazy, you know? And she talks about all these examples in nature and in the universe of how things work in ways that are really kind of bizarre and counterintuitive and unexplainable. And just because we've gained some sort of familiarity about them, we're able to describe them or, or annotate them or whatever. We, we call that science or nature or whatever, but it could just as easily be considered magic, you know, and she's getting at the idea that, that I think about all the time that nature and science is magic and the world and the universe is wondrous and fantastical and weird and so as much as yeah when you look at any given movie or tv show or whatever about ghosts or heaven or hell or aliens or whatever you can go yeah that's probably not right that's probably not how it really is In a sense, it's just as dumb to say, well, we know conclusively that ghosts aren't real or that we're all just worm food when we die because we don't really know that.
0: Yeah, she makes a really great argument for wonder and faith like that. And it it does it without taking a religious, you know, hard right turn or anything like that. But she's like, why would you want to remove wonder from the world? Things are magical and beautiful and isn't it great that we don't know how that happens and we or we don't know if it's really the thing we think it is and this is, this is the reason we keep exploring. This is the reason we keep asking questions because it feels fanciful and magical and wonderful. That's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it worthy of our attention and our time and our study. And so, you know, like I said, to me, this is a really great argument for religion it's a really great argument for faith to say why wouldn't we continue to you know be a scholar of these ancient texts and try to figure out what's happened and you know and all that like why wouldn't we that's that's wonderful it's it's really an interesting academic prospect to kind of figure those things out for her she stays you know like i said she she stays away from the like religious aspect of it but it's just more about the wonder of the natural world and and allowing that childlike wonder to be a part of who we are makes us better people and so in the voiceover at the end of the show you have the mom frankie does the voiceover and she is kind of reflecting on that and so like in the end we really learned the life lesson from Sue rather than the other way around. Yeah,
1: there's definitely a sort of crazy like a fox kind of thing going on where you start to realize, oh, okay, yeah, maybe she was the one that actually has the real wisdom by, you know, entertaining these fanciful notions. And while you're hearing that voiceover at the end of Patricia Heaton summing it all up, you see the dad, you know, kind of in the middle of the night or whatever, rummaging around the living room. And it, it's implied that he maybe catches a sight of this mysterious Santa Maria phantom. Right, thing.
0: well, it's not just implied. that This time the camera, we only stay on his face for a moment and then it turns around and you, like we, the audience, get to see the shadow of a ship highlighted in what looks like, you know, blinds, like a car driving by, yeah. but the shadow of this ship moving across the wall. And so, and and then it goes back to the dad and he's like, what, you know, kind of doing that sort of confused face and just sort of, you know, sits down, like shrugs and kind of sits down, down on the couch and resigns himself to that sense of wonder. Like maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Well, who am I to say?
1: And I'll say from a filmmaking point of view, it's done really well. Unlike, say, having a wrench float across your set being hung by a fishing line that you can
0: totally see, Laverne and Shirley. (laughs) But this is
1: done in a way that you, the viewer, can watch and go, Oh, well, maybe maybe somebody has a boat that's like, you know, tied to a flatbed or something and, and somebody's driving a boat up and down their street, or like it allows for all these different interpretations. It's done in a way that's sort of like graceful and classy and kind of gets you thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Looking back over these, I feel like this is another one of our sort of survey course lineups where we get kind of a little bit of everything, even though they all overlap in this way of the seance, you -hmm. know. Well, and
0: I forgot to tell you that... The middle, the um, creators of the middle are from the creators of Roseanne and Murphy Brown. And to me, like when I read that, the idea that it was Roseanne and Murphy Brown. Hmm. And th-
1: it's in the middle. And it's
0: right. Like this is exactly those two kind of coming together. Yeah. Um, I think I it was like, man, that... That is spot on. The show was also, there was an original like way earlier pilot that was, it was done for Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake was going to be the mom and then it got scrapped and some years went by and then they rebooted it with Patricia Heaton in the starring role after she was done with Ray Romano.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, look, if, if you're talking about actual quality, I think that's pretty clearly the winner. You know, the Laverne and Shirley episode delivers on exactly what you would hope. If, if you're asking, you know, what does it look like when a sitcom from the 70s jumps the shark? You know, a goofy late period, uh, you know, Gary Marshall sitcom does a dumb Halloween episode. Like, that's it. And it's fun to watch them running around the, the living room set with buckets on their, on their feet and stuff. And yeah, the Fresh Prince one, I definitely, you know, if you think about a sitcom Halloween episode, that sort of subtrope of like, we're going to turn the whole thing into a little bit of like a Edgar Allan Poe-esque tale of like, you know, be careful what you wish for, or like some sort of, you know, a little Twilight Zone-y scenario.
0: Yeah, Uh, and you had characters acting out of character. Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv both are acting out of character.
1: Yeah, and even the fact that you get them in those funny costumes in ways that are incidental. So it's like, sure, it's Halloween, so let's have Will be Dracula and Carlton be Macaulay Culkin slash Wesley Snipes. But Uh, yeah it doesn't really have anything to do with anything but it's just fun it just adds another level of interest to those scenes and and again the presence of Otho from Beetlejuice like automatic you know extra letter grade there for the 90s you know 90s silliness and then I don't know look that Reba one if, if it's starting to maybe shape up as like the early 2000s are a little bit of like the sitcoms kind of trying to figure out where to go next. Yeah. You know, kind of in between Seinfeld and Friends, you know, like, okay, we have... We have The Office and Curb Your Enthusiasm to sort of look to as as possible examples, but we haven't quite entered that next phase with 30 Rock and The American Office and Schitt's Creek and all the good stuff to come. And so yeah, when things are a little bit kind of out to sea, you get stuff like Reba that's kind of like, okay, like kind of a fun family sitcom, a little here, neither here nor there.
0: Yeah, well, and I see also in the early 2000s, that's when you had people just sort of turning off network tv and going to hbo yeah. right they were like everybody was watching the prestige shows on hbo sex my friends in college used to have sex in the city parties you know what i mean like you were all about the surprise. i had
1: reba parties you had reba you
0: totally had reba parties i could see that you put on your red wig you did you know sing fancy the song you never heard of course <laughs> But yeah, I I see that. Well, now the other thing that uh, like through our conversation, I'm having this sort of feeling like I wonder if there was even more and maybe this is me ascribing way too much to The Fresh Prince. But upon reflection, thinking about the way Aunt Viv was acting, which was like a clear white women's tears trope. And then the like the scary moment of Will... Just crying in a puddle on the ground because he knew that or on a couch because the cops were about to be called on him and and whatever, like those kinds of things. I'm like, man, were they were they almost doing like an Atlanta, like trying to tell us something maybe not maybe i'm reading way too much into it but i like for all the fun of what they were what they were did really do which is like the twilight zoney thing and the fact that we're right in the heart of sitcoms hitting their stride i really liked the fresh prince episode
1: yeah no it's a good one so yeah i almost it it's a bummer that Halloween only comes once a year in terms of lineups for the show because there really were uh, quite a lot of fun subtropes and and you know things that that came out
0: well and that was what I thought was really interesting we were looking at these Halloween episodes and thinking about them you know one of the ones the one of the first ones that came to my mind was community where they did that zombie Halloween party where they all ate like the poison or like yeah. you know meat that had gone bad and they all got this like And they all kind of turn into zombies or whatever. And yes, it's a Halloween episode, but it also would fit if we did just like randomly a zombies thing at some point.
1: Yeah. Halloween episodes that are movie parodies are definitely a thing and yeah there was a home improvement episode they they also did a lot of them there was one where he's at a party and he has like a mysterious stalker that uh is is following him through the episode and we don't know who it is that for some reason just sticks out in my mind it's like that was a good one so by all means it's never too early to let us know what kinds of halloween subtropes we should be looking at for next year so much for the Halloween seances. Amy, what are we talking about next week?
0: Next week, the tension breaks. Our Will They Won't They romance series hits its peak. All of our couples have a point of no return. Cheers, season one, episodes 21 and 22. It's a double episode, Showdown. Friends, season two, episode 14, the one with the prom video, The Office. Season 2, Episode 22, Casino Night, and New Girl Season 2, Episode 15, Cooler.
1: That's right. The will-they-won't-they saga continues next week, and until then, we will consider this segment of the sitcom study concluded. Thank you for listening to The Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The Sitcom Study is recorded in front of a live studio dog.